Hey guys, welcome to the Begging Boardcast, episode number 404. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being the Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories for the past week. Next is the list. Could it be back? Maybe. And we'll probably, and we'll talk possibly about the queue. And then we always follow it up with our weekly rotating main topic. And this week is something we talked about at the end of episode number 403. Uh, and this is the, you can get with this or you can get with that. So this is the best story told in a medium different from the original. And the example that I gave for that was the movie, The Ten Commandments. You sit me down and say like, hey, Chris, you can either read the Bible or watch Ten Commandments. You know, and be like, yeah, man, put on that Charlton Heston motherfucker. Uh, yes, and as always... That's, that's uh, the only yeah. way you can refer to that movie. It's a Charlton Heston motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're having some beers and maybe some mixed drinks, depending on what Paul's talking about. And, uh, I'm having a collab between Community Beer Works and Big Ditch, local breweries. Uh, and I'm having their practically infinite India Pale Lager. Um, and this beer is enjoyable. Um, maybe on a super hot day, it would be a little bit better. Um, but it's a really nice crisp lager up front with the mouth drying hops, kind of mid to back palate. And it was good um, up until towards the end. And I kind of just uh, rinsed my glass of what was left and uh, opened up another beer. Um it's not bad. Definitely maybe something to have with food or to have with maybe some like have with nuts, something salty where you would kind of it would be refreshing on your palate. Um, it was good, but I wouldn't say it was great or even really good. But Paul, oh, were you going to well, say I, something? So I can skip that one. Like I don't need to spend money on that one. Yeah, I would skip it. Paul, uh, are you having something that's good or possibly great? It's pretty good. You know, it's uh, a mixed drink because, like, I've uh, I've been running through my beer rather quickly. Um, basically, I bring it home and I'm drinking it all. And uh, so I'm make I made up a mixed drink. This is a, a drink from the Blues Brothers, and it's you can find out how to make it on a, the web series How to Drink found on YouTube. And this is basically an orange juice screwdriver. It's a screwdriver drink with rum and heavy cream uh, and chicken. That that sounds pretty good, actually. It's pretty nice, yeah. You got a nice kind of little bit of a watered-down orange juice flavor. And then you got a little bit of that rum sweetness. And then you have a little bit of creaminess from the heavy cream. Uh, It does become really frothy in the glass and um but with all the ice in it it uh waters down the orange juice flavor and i can barely taste any kind of rum uh there is vodka in it because it's a screwdriver drink um so it's like drinking an alcoholic orange juice and i figured since we're recording kind of in the late afternoon like it's kind of a brunchy kind of drink anyway so why not you know so my question because i forgot about the scene in Blues Brothers. Was this a real uh, drink before it, or was it just like a thing in the script, John Candy 
says it, and then someone's like, "Oh, like what's an orange whip? Let me let me make that drink." Because I I had never heard of it. I think it is a real drink. Okay. And the story goes, sorry, I have ice in my mouth. Because I wasn't expecting uh, it to be tossed back to me. I, I, I apologize for that. I was I didn't know you had ice in your mouth. This is why you need a webcam. Yeah. <laughs> On how to drink. Uh, he actually describes that apparently one of John Candy's friends had just bought a bunch of Orange Julius chains. And so he was trying to promote, like, for his friend in the movie. He ad-libbed a whole, like, let's get an orange whip. Orange whip, orange whip, orange whip. And it was a drink that, you know, was based in, you know, heavily in orange juice um, to kind of help his friend out with his new uh, franchisee, you know, being a new franchisee. Um, so I'm not sure if it, if it was something kind of standard, like a Harvey Wallbanger or something like that, or somebody, like, was came up with it during that same time. But it definitely feels like a late 70s kind of like uh, of that era kind of drink where it's very fruited, very uh, not alcohol forward just a punch kind of you know drink gotcha. it's, it's good it's delicious, if you have heavy cream at home you have more, some orange juice at home, it's not the worst thing to do with those ingredients but no I'd much rather use my heavy cream to make like creme brulee or something like that so Good to know. And Chris, um, are you drinking? Uh, I'm not drinking a cocktail. I have a beer from Sideward Brewing Company here in Orlando, Florida. Again, trying to support my local breweries, doing whatever I can. Uh, this is actually a collaboration with them and Dissolver Brewing out of North Carolina. <clears throat> and this is their blind date. And this is an imperial stout that's brewed with coffee, honey, hazelnut, and cocoa nibs. Uh, Sitting at 12.5% ABV, uh, I'm drinking it out of my brand new Sideward Brewing glassware because, again, like whenever I go somewhere uh, during this, I try to get something else to help support them. So, you know, I might buy beer uh, from Sideward. I also got a container of their homemade hot sauce, which has been fantastic. I've been eating it on my chicken tenders that I have in my freezer, and it's great. Um, or, you know, I'll buy a T-shirt or a sandwich, just something else to help help them, you know, continue to make ends meet during this trying time. Uh, but this beer is fantastic. I remember looking at, looking at it on the menu and thinking, like, oh, that sounds fantastic. You know, let me get one of those. I didn't realize how much of a big boy it was sitting at 12.5%. Uh, they're out of their normal cans that they use for crawlers. So it's literally just a plain silver crawler that they slapped one of their sideward brewing stickers on and then on the side they wrote the name of the beer the date and then the abv i didn't pay attention to that when i went into my refrigerator to grab the beer too uh so on my first sip i was like oh my gosh this is definitely a sipper a lot of alcohol on the nose like that alcohol kind of washes out everything else but then as soon as you take that first sip you just get that nice rich sweetness from the honey and the cocoa and then it's a nice coffee on the mid palate but then it just kind of washes away with that nuttiness from the hazelnuts this is a fantastic beer um when i checked into it on untapped i put it i think at like a 4.25 now that i've had like one of my glasses of it and i 
re-topped it off. I'm probably going to check into it again and knock it up a couple marks because this is just absolutely delicious. Not the beer you want to start off a podcast with because it's just uh, to steal Paul's word from our pre-recording session, it's decadent. Mm. Uh, I am a decadent boy. That's why I beat my drink with heavy cream. There you go. So, uh, guys, news. News. Anything, any good news, guys? Or is it all just delays and uh, <laughs> things being up in the air? And uh, 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 Yeah, it's, it's some delays. <laughs> yeah. well, let's talk about the good news first. We're going to actually get, uh, get a, a reunion of sorts. Yeah, something I'm really excited for. Uh, the cast and creators of the NBC show Parks and Rec are coming back. Uh, this coming week on April 30th with a special one-off pandemic quarantine episode. So the entire principal cast is coming back. The episode was written by series creator and producer Mike Schur. Uh, I'm excited. And yes, this is going to be a filmed at home, like one-off special. But it's great to see these characters coming back, even though it's going to just be people sitting in front of their computers on... on a webcam, like. Hey, but talking into webcams, didn't that work with? I haven't seen that movie with uh, Harold or Kumar. Harold, the guy that plays Harold, and then he's trying to fi- figure out what happened to his daughter, and it's all, and he's doing it all on like the computer screens. The movie came out be, like uh, last year. What was it called? I don't even know. I, I forget what it's called, but it was supposed to be pretty good. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember this at all. So, <clears throat> then there was that horror movie Unfollow, which wasn't great, but that was all done on like people chatting on webcams and everything. So, and I think one of the Paranormal Activity. Yeah, but I think these are actually people just they're being yeah. That's shot it, it, from it's home. different from they're, like people like just recording like a movie, but that's like storytelling's through. I'm just saying, there's a way to elevate it. And it has been elevated before. Yeah, but that's... So. I, I I still think you're putting too much pressure and weight on it because that's an actual movie filmed with a budget. This is people sitting around at home on webcam with a script talking. Yeah, but they can afford a $200 720p webcam right now. <laughs> they have money. So, uh, I'm excited for it. I think it'll be... Anything new is fun to watch. Uh, I tried to. I watched a few clips of the um, Disney sing along that they did, and I wasn't that impressed with that because that was definitely just people talking into you know singing into a webcam. So what do you think Parks and Rec is going to be? Because it's going to be that. <laughs> I'm confused now. But I think they. I think when you get like uh, I think Uncle Shore, yeah, but. And, Polar <clears throat> together to do something. But I'll tell you this: like I watched, I watched uh, Rhett and Link on Jimmy Kimmel, mm-hmm. and Rhett and Link on their show, on their YouTube show, look better than what Jimmy Kimmel's doing. Yeah. Well, I think some Jimmy, of that's I'm sorry, Jimmy Jimmy Fallon. I think some of that's because they're used to just like. I, I don't mean this in a disparaging way at all. Like, but they're used to just like 
getting up and going to sit in front of a camera to put on a web show. Like everything else I've seen from people that are recording stuff like here and there, just like put up even like the clips I've seen from Saturday night live where they're doing like their at home casts. Like it's literally just people sitting in their den. Like it's, it's nothing. It has been pretty rough. Yeah. But I think yeah. the person, the, the most mainstream person that it's gotten it done that so far is uh, Trevor Noah, uh, the social distancing daily show. Mm-hmm. Or the uh, daily social distancing show. Yeah, I, I mean, um, John, I think the uh, re- the, I think Good Mythical yeah, Morning that, that, actually that, looks pretty good. That that. Sorry, it's my Michael Scott. And uh, John Oliver. Was, most yeah, I was gonna say John Oliver has been pretty good on his too. But again, it's like just him sitting in a white room. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, Red and Link aren't you know that mainstream people yet. You know, they're, I mean, they're not mainstream, but when it comes to you know like streaming no, YouTube they're... content, like they're probably up at the top of the list. And I think yeah, they have more they... production value on their own than some of like the other big YouTube streamers out there that are like millions and millions of followers. Yeah, and they actually said they're putting more work into their recordings at home than they did in their show. To make sure that it looks good, and it does to me, it looks good. I I watch their show of the two of them at one at ones in the den and ones at their like dining room table, and it looks really good. Where I watched them on Jimmy Fallon, and everybody was blurry. That's man, all I was get saying. It together, man. Uh, but some other, uh, I think some other good news is um, Arrow actor Stephen Amell put out his, uh, I maybe a burner phone. Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm assuming. <laughs> but he put out um, his phone number to have people reach out and connect to him. He's someone who's always had uh, a Facebook connection where he'd go on and he'd do he'd do sit and do interview things and sit and have chat rooms with fans. He's always been really, really connected with his fans. Um, so he put his phone number out for the people to text him. Um, it's something that, uh, David Harbor from stranger things did probably like two weeks into, uh, isolation and his, you know, uh, David Harbor was like, don't text me, like me, don't text me your my favorite scenes or what you, you know, what I did that you like. Text me about you. Text me about what's going on. Are you working? Are you laid off? Are you this? Like, I want personal connections. And I think half of that is just him as an actor who's shut up too, is having moments with people. Probably helps him get through the day when he's, I believe he's in New York City, like, <laughs> in his shut into his apartment, you know? Yeah, Stephen Amell is a real class act. Like, he's always there for his fans because so much of Arrow isn't because it's based off of a DC property because nobody cares about Green Arrow. Like, it's not a top-tier character. So I think the whole reason that show performed and launched, like, all of the DC television universe is because... It had its fans, and he cares deeply for those people that have been there for him through everything. Like, he was like a no name actor. Like, he was on what was like Friday Night Lights? That, or like 
guest spotted on Knight Rider. You know, he, yeah, like he, small actor. People responded to that show, supported him, and then like it's given him a platform to do more. Like he started a winery with one of his friends. The winery is called Knocking Point because hey, when you're stringing a bow and arrow, like where the arrow hits the the string, that's your knocking point. Like the name of his company comes from Arrow. Him and his cousin, or no, his brother, uh, they crowdfunded the movie Code 8, which is now available on, I want to say it's Hulu or Netflix. It's on one of the streaming platforms, but that was... Is it his brother or is it his cousin? I can't, I don't remember. His name's like Robbie Amell, though. Like, so it's, it could be cousin, yeah. it could be brother. Um, again, like, just talking off the top of my head, no research in this. Um but, like, that was a completely crowdfunded movie. And then when I saw the trailer for it a couple months ago, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this looks pretty decent. It looks comparable to something like a, a District 9. You know, it's that kind of sci-fi action movie. Uh, so the fact that he's giving out a, his personal phone number, whether it's a burner or not, pretty sure it's just like a, a cheap phone that he added another line onto his bill with. That's awesome. Uh, like, uh, Yeah. And they're cousins, and that uh, District Eight supposed to be pretty good. Um, code Eight, District yeah, Nine, Code Eight. Uh, yeah, they're like it's um, the premise is uh, people with superpowers were basically put into slavery, mm-hmm. and uh, this guy who uh, who um, Robbie Amell plays, he has like electrical powers, so he can do like electrical work or work on power lines. But his mother's sick, and because he's kind of this slave workforce, he doesn't have the money to help her. So he basically kind of turns into a supervillain. Yeah, it's like a heist movie. Get, to get money to save her. And uh, uh, Stephen Amell plays like the bad guy. And it's like for what they – what the money that they got, they used it like – they use their money right because it looks really good. Yeah, it but also looks like, like really good. But also like they're not using like twenty different places. You know, they used five different places to shoot. You know, to shoot all the scenes. Like they use their money wisely uh, to do it. I know. Well, that whole Arrowverse uh, group seems like they're they're very fan forward. Uh, the woman that plays. Uh, Killer Frost, Caitlin Snow, Danielle, I'm forgetting on her name, but on Twitter, she'll do watch-along things on Twitter. Like, she'll live stream with fans, like, hey, what do you think of this episode? What do you think is happening here? Like, and answer people's questions almost every week. She'll do a watch-along. It's cool cool that a franchise has that kind of fan-first mentality well also in everything that's going on now with you know people staying inside respecting like the quarantine stuff is you're getting a lot more of those live watches watch along things where i they had a guardians of the galaxy one last week and it wasn't announced it wasn't discussed but james gunn just like popped in and was like hey guys like what let's talk about this movie and, like he was answering fan questions throughout it and like giving hints because one of his big things is like, there's so many Easter eggs in these movies that people haven't picked up on. Like if you're able to find, you know, an Easter egg that hasn't been discovered already, I'll, 
I'll give you like a thousand dollars. Like, I don't remember the dollar amount, but it's literally like a, Hey, you find something I'll pay you because that's how well hidden they are. And he even said like one of the ones in uh, guardians of the galaxy volume two, when you're finding out Eagle ego's evil plan and you see like the pile of skulls, some of those skulls are Easter eggs to the Marvel comic book universe. Well, but it's like it's a blink and miss section. Like there's Easter eggs in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One that people still haven't found. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, what was it? Uh, they did um, Thor Ragnarok with the director. He, he he sat down and watched it with a group of people to help raise money. So yeah, there's lots of there's lots of things that people are doing that have been, you know, fun and that people have liked during this this crazy time. And it's glad I'm glad to see that there are celebrities who are using that to to the advantage to raise some money to entertain and to help a cause. Like all these things, kind of balancing that aren't just. Um, Wonder Woman and her friends horribly singing uh, Imagine. Yeah, I didn't watch that because I I don't care about celebrities doing things normally. Well, you know, and I don't like the song Imagine. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not a bad song. Like, I get it. It's not a bad. It's a good song. Uh, what I think is funny is like they just had people sing a line, so they didn't like have context before. They just said like, "Imagine all the people," and then somebody else the next line, like they weren't singing this ever not everybody sang the whole song and then they just took the clips so nobody was really on on key for it they just sang what their line was and it just did not add up to anything good i'm glad i missed that yeah but you know what something i miss is Hmm. comic books was that all our news there's we were going to talk about like Ant Man, or not Ant Man, oh my Spider Man three. There's an Ant Man and a Spider Man, um, getting pushed back and therefore pushing back possibly the War of Thunder and also Doctor Strange two, the rolling effect. But you know that's just bad news. Yeah, we that's don't need to talk well, about that. But also like, I, yeah, I remember now that that was something I was brought up. But at this point, for me, that's not news. Like that's. Yeah, like everything's shut down. People can't leave their houses. Something getting delayed because of that. It's not a big surprise. And if it's something, yeah, it's, you know, it's upsetting because as a fan, you want to consume that that media. But you got to understand, like, yeah, like the actors and like cast and crew, like literally can't leave their houses to go make this. Nothing's being made right now. Stuff's going to get pushed back. I just want to talk about that rolling effect of it all because we're, you know, it's all a connected universe that, you know, this is happening and therefore not only is Spider-Man delayed, it, it might push back the other cinematic universe, you know, the, uh, Doctor Strange and also um, Thor Love and Thunder, which seems crazy to me because I didn't think those two would have much interplay. And if but I, I think it gets pushed back. Are we pushing back WandaVision? You know, it's. And that note, I don't think a lot of it's interplay. Like, some of it's probably just because of budget and the use of the facilities and people that are already working on stuff. 
Like if I'm supposed to be working on movie B, I can't do my work on movie B because other resources need to come from movie A first. So movie A being delayed is going to push back what I can do on B because yeah, some of it might be story based, but if you're waiting for visual effects for movie A to be done before they can move on to movie B, like, yeah, it's going to push that back. And then movie C is supposed to have half that team from A on it. So now C is being pushed back too. Like, I think a lot of that's just allotment of resources. And, and at this point now, like, cause I saw an article about this too. Like Marvel has five movies scheduled for 2022. We're probably not going to get all those. I imagine some of those are going to be pushed back a little bit more because, you know, that was a big stumbling point for Star Wars. People were saying, we're like, oh, they put out too much Star Wars too quick. It's like, well, Marvel's been doing it. There's a market for it. It's just dependent on, like, the quality of the of the piece itself. Uh, I was more surprised because this is two different studios as well. You know, you got Sony doing the Spider-Man movie, and that's now messing with, you know, Disney, Marvel. Um, you know, so you're talking about, you know, visual effects workers working on A versus B. I'm like, wow, you know, but this visual effects team, I know, are own studio that then get, you know, hired by Sony to do the visual effects and also probably hired by Marvel to do their visual effects. I'm just so surprised by how interconnected even two different studios' movies are right now. Well, even stuff like TV, you know, a TV show can be coming out on one network, but the TV show rights are actually owned by a different network, and then they wind up filming it on a different studio's property. Like, so much stuff goes on behind the scenes. Like, there's so many moving pieces to all of this that one thing being delayed could push back something else. Like they might not be able to film, you know, one of the movies because the craft service team is supposed to be working on a different movie. So now there's going to be nothing to eat at, at this, uh, the shoots for this one. Like there's a lot that goes into it. So for me, like stuff being delayed, just like, eh, yeah, like it's, it's going to happen on the plus side. Since everything's being delayed, you know, I might be looking forward to a movie coming out in this month that's not now, but a movie that was supposed to be coming out before could possibly be out then, too. Like, there's still going to be entertainment. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of shakedowns and shakeups still happening. Like, what we were talking about pre-show, the Uncharted movie that Tom Holland and uh, Mark... Uh, Say hi to your mother for me. Wahlberg. Uh, Wahlberg are attached to be in. They were going to be shooting that movie, and the movie got shut down. And that movie was supposed to be shot first before Spider-Man 3. Technically, that movie was supposed to come out like four years ago, as it is anyways. Yeah, well... Because originally, Mark Wahlberg was supposed to be playing uh, Nathan Drake, and now he's playing Sully in it. Like, it's... Yeah. But they actually started filming. <laughs> they got shut down. So I'm like saying, like, okay, well, we might. It might not all be like, hey, let's start up to the races again, and the schedule is going to come out as as it was before. No, there's other contracts and other movies that these actors have signed up for, and we might get a lot longer of a delay of no new media, no new movies, as this all shakes out. So there might be a big dead zone I'm, that we might hit 
hopefully one of the things that comes out from this is studios maybe start to go leaner and meaner on their production. Like maybe, you know, Fox or like Sony isn't like, oh, well, we need to put a movie out this time of year because we need to put a movie out. Like maybe they're just like, no, you know, it's not worth us taking that time and spending those resources. Let's not just put something out so we have something in the in the theater because even at this point, like something we haven't really talked about too much, uh, AMC theaters looking at going bankrupt and they don't have plans to reopen again until June, you know, in the middle of the summer movie season. All the summer movies have been delayed, but like that's that's the thing, like everyone's going to be suffering from this, not even just the studios or the people that go see the movies, you know, the people that show the movies too. Yeah, I think this yeah. shakeup is going to it's be gonna, bigger than we're all assuming. Uh, I'm assuming it's going to be <laughs> hugely detrimental, especially like oil co- oil companies that make billions of dollars a year who are all, all in financial trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, there's I think there's tons of things that are going to change our immediate way of life. And you know, Chris supporting local. Uh, I'm trying to buy local beers like. I'm bringing in local beers into my beer shop to make sure that we can help uh, help these guys. But I think it's somewhere between like 40 and 60% of breweries are probably going to have to close. And, I mean, there's lots of them who have been – who are trying and who are getting supports. But there's sometimes – there's some like – there's some of these breweries that are in like crazy random place – that's off the beaten path in Vermont that doesn't have just people who can easily drive, drive there to get to those breweries. And I think you're going to have a huge, we're going to see a huge drop off of that, you know, and it's going to be, you know, a shame that these guys were doing great until this pandemic, you know, but even, even the places that are doing okay, like, you know, just squeaking by, like they have that word of mouth where it's like, Oh, hey, you know what? You like beer? Go to this place. I mean, Orlando's not really a brewing city, but they do have the Central Florida Beer Trail where it's like you get the map and then there's like eight breweries around that you can go to. Like, a lot of those are small, just tiny places. You know, one of the things, like, I've been wanting to go to 1010 uh, and get something from them because that place is fantastic too, but, you know, it's, it's downtown, like, not like downtown super far away from me or anything, but when I go out, I, I'm just going out to get what I need. And then I get home. And I think a lot of that's just because even on a normal day, I'm a hermit throw in like being stuck inside for the past month and a half. Yeah. I'm even more of a hermit now. Like when I leave, I'm just like, Oh, I hate being out. I just, you know, want to get back inside to my, uh, my video games my cats and my Netflix. Like, I don't know. We were talking a good for two years, like whether or not the beer industry, the brewery industry, was in a bubble. And I think maybe this accelerates that bubble bursting, and that bubble is oh. now bursting a lot quicker. I, see, I, <laughs> I don't know if I, you I, can. I, there's a difference yeah, between different. Uh, too many breweries saturating and not enough people caring versus uh, people not allowed to go to your place because buying multiple beers and dinner and dessert 
and then while you're there getting a shirt or a glass or a specialty beer and taking it home is different when you have a drive-up service now where you can pre-order or walk in and get a can of beer or a, a six-pack, and that's it. You know, some places are still trying to do food, but at the same point, like, I don't know. I have I don't have a problem walking in and grabbing that couple, couple four-packs or this or that, but do I also want to then get, you know, a thing of mac and cheese and a chicken breast and take it home? Like... I think it's the thing is like the food service is a big part of it. And especially when you can have, I mean, if you think about big ditch, you go in there, there's 30 to 50 people there, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon eating lunch. And all of a sudden you take almost all of that out with just small amount of food service. You know, they have two people in the kitchen right now because they, they don't need more than that. They might not even need two people for the food that they're putting out and people are actually buying. But like all the local guys, they're making specialty beers to get people into the, into their places to buy it so they can make some money. Yeah. You um, know? One of my favorite bands, Real Big Fish, the trumpet player, Dan Reagan, left a few years ago. And he left to do something that he loved. Like he started a brewery in Long Beach, California, like it's LBC Brewing. But even from the time that he left the band to, you know, getting all the equipment, getting their liquor license, it was still a two-year period. And that's two years where you're investing in something with no return on it. And then, okay, say you have the capital to get to that point where it's like, all right, you know, I'm going to open up a brewery. I'm going to get everything set up and ready to go. I'm open and, you know, my day-to-day operations are here pay the bills and you know maybe i can start to pay myself off the top of that you know as we go because i got to take care of my employees now imagine all of a sudden you don't have that foot traffic that you were counting on you depending on it's it's crazy well i mean even if you think about like our really in-depth tour of cigar city that we had i mean you take the restaurant out of that place and I think you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of diminishing returns, even for a place that is connected with those other breweries where they're brewing all over the country. All of a sudden, you have you know two people brewing at a time, making those batches. How many people do you have running the canning line? Like everything is gonna be slowed down to release their you know to get their beer canned because how many people can you have? have their working to do that. Mm-hmm. And do you have the same guys working together? Do you have less guys working? Like, I mean, a canning line, usually you have like five people working it depending on the size. And I think, yeah, well, even then, like you might have at that point, like you have a kitchen where you might have like three or four people working. You have, you know, maybe two or three servers on the floor, taking those orders, bringing people their food and their beers. You have two, bartenders working at at the bar like well now that you're not open you don't have that many people coming in you just have your people stopping by like getting a sandwich to go like maybe your growler or crawler like well now you're down to like one bartender you maybe only need two people in the kitchen you don't really need a server but you might just be trying to help them out so you just have them kind of as like a runner like oh hey you know what's your name what's your order okay you know 20 bucks, like 
half of your workforce already just like on that like customer facing being cut. Yeah. I, and it, it, it's awful. You know, <laughs> there's nothing else like, to say. Like, you don't, you don't want to see anybody, anybody suffer or lose their job because of what's happening. You really don't want to lose like a favorite place. Like, Oh, like, Hey, let I just love stopping by here and grabbing a, and grabbing a beer, or like, you know, getting a sandwich. Like, I don't want to have anyone suffer for that. You know, least of all me. <laughs> <laughs> you got to end it on a high note, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And do we want to talk, Paul, did, do, are you ready to talk about your next beer? Or do we want to go right into the, yeah. the list slash queue? If we go into the, my next beer, it'll be the, my last beer. So it's up to you guys. I still have a little bit of of mine left. I can probably get through uh, get the queue, the list, and then like dramatic dramatic reading before uh, I pour my next one. Sounds good. All right. So let's get into the list, aka and the queue. Yeah, and Chris, you had now pulled this up because. Cool. Yeah, this is something I talked about last week in our Week in Geek. Um, DC Comics has actually teamed up with uh, the discount comic book service DCBS and Midtown Comics to become kind of impromptu distributor services while Diamond Comics is shut down. Uh, Recently, Diamond announced that they do plan on getting back to distributing comics at the end of May, which hopefully we have comic books coming out. Um, both Marvel and DC made the statements that, hey, we're not going to be putting out the digital comic books during this time because we want to help support the brick and mortar, brick and mortar, like local comic book stores during this time. Uh, but we're kind of starting to see the break on that where DC is teaming up with these companies to start to put books back out into stores. Um, and I, I think a lot of that's just to help support those stores because we have some comic books coming out from DC this week. So uh, street date, April 28th, 2020. Uh, but it's not a lot of books. So when I was talking about like, hey, we can do things for the list, it's literally just some books coming out that we probably wouldn't be buying anyways. Um, because we have a book coming out from Joe Hill's Hill House line uh, with Daphne Byrne number four. The final issue of the Dreaming series, so spinning out of the Sandman Presents universe, Batman Giant number four, which is one of the Walmart exclusive, like the collection, like the 100-page giant stuff, uh, with a new Batman story uh, leading into Second Coming uh, in the Wonder Twins, and then two reprints. So a reprint of Nightwing number 70, which is the lead-up to the Joker War crossover, and then a reprint of Batman number 89, which is the first appearance of the new Joker sidekick uh, punchline. So they're still limiting their solicitations. Like, it's not like we have 20 books coming out. But there is something coming out. You know, I mean, some of these books are things that people are probably excited about. Stores are probably happy that, you know what, we might not have had any money coming in this week. But now at least we can say, hey, we have these. So if you want to pick this up. Let us know if there's something else you want. You know, we have 20% off trades. Like, hit us up. I think it's just trying to get to some kind of normalcy. 
And then the following week, next week, we would have normally seen uh, Free Comic Book Day, right? Like that first Friday of May. Mm-hmm. Was Free Comic Book Day. There's no word on whether or not that... I, I, I think that was straight up canceled. I think everybody... Yeah. I mean, I'll do some Google food quick. Hey, I mean... That used to get a lot of foot traffic and you want to talk about like a lot of foot traffic, we'd always get huge listeners for summer movie blockbuster bracket buster. And we're not, you know, we're not even planning to um, attempt that. Today, before we recorded, I was thinking about something to do kind of in place of that since, since we won't have that. So stay tuned. Uh, that's for the listeners and you guys, because I kind of want to work out some logistics before I, before I pitch it. Mm. All right. Um, yeah, I'm for the list, guys. I'm not really interested in picking up any of the books that Chris just. No, me, I want a comicsology. Me neither. And just like, and I looked, and I'm like, oh, there's some digital first coming out for 99 cents. And if we're gonna pick one, I guess I'll pick uh, either Superman, Man of Tomorrow, or uh, Swamp Thing, depending. But honestly, I'm not gonna pick up anything because. No, again, something that I thought just kind of bared mentioning because at least we're getting something coming out, even if it's nothing big, nothing that we need to pick up. Uh, but I'm probably more excited just to you know stick around home and watch something off of my queue. So what's on your queue, Chris? Uh, I still haven't had a chance to jump into Steven Universe yet. I've just been continuing on with my... Office Rewatch, because that's a show that I consistently go to. Um, but with some other news, you know, I, I kind of want to start a Parks and Rec Rewatch, just so I can get my feet back into those characters before uh, we get our quarantine special coming out in a couple of days. Yeah, like, will they have, is Grizzle going to be the thing that they're talking about? Like, they're they're not zooming, but they're grizzling or something? Well, like I'm... I am assuming that since we did have that time jump at the end of the series where it takes place in the future, I think we're going to be a, like, you know, hey, sorry, Parks and Rec, you owe us 10 cents. But I think we're going to be getting like, a Parks and Rec look back where they're going to be jumping back in time to everyone kind of back in their roles in the Parks Department. Yeah, but during that time jump, it's now our past. It's our. Like, it's their past, our present. Because I. Th- oh no! I think because I think the uh, what should call it? The Joe Four takes place in twenty twenty. I think it's so it could still be like before they had it. Twenty nineteen. I thought it was a two year time jump from. I don't remember when. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. I, I feel like it. I feel like it was farther than that, like twenty twenty. But I mean, th- this could. It could be a. A jump back, and it you know they've had okay. It they, takes place. Sorry, it, it it takes place in twenty twenty five. Um, the show, the new show, or the time jump. The the time jump when they moved forward because both Ben and Leslie are being approached to run for office in twenty twenty five. But this could be like it could be a time where the characters were doing the um, what would happen pandemic. You know, like they had the um, 
the one episode when they were going to get when they got married, they had to do the pandemic thing, you know, like <clears throat> like um uh, a test of all the government facilities to work together to get it done. Um, you know, it could be one of those where they're all on their different computers trying to run the government with, uh, well, the pandemic, a pandemic's going on. I don't know. I don't even want to, I don't even want to think about well, what's I, going on. I just want to sit down and enjoy, you know, a show that I've loved for years and hopefully I it makes me do, laugh. I do think it's fun that they did touch on like the regular series with people like putting their mouths on the drinking fountains. Like, so they're just like, we'll just make them bigger. And then it's just like, Andy, like, putting his entire face on it. Like, I, oh, I, I'm excited for it. John, what, what else are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm actually looking forward to, uh, it just came up on HBO. And HBO, uh, the what HBO Go app is free for everybody. Um, so why don't you stop over there and... Uh, watch Stuber with me. This is a movie that I picked to be on the movie Blockbuster Bracket Buster last year. And this movie stars um, uh, Dave Bautista and um, Camille Nahani? I'm going to think that's right. Uh, Uh, As the resident name reader, I know who you're talking about. I I need to see his name. um, All right. well, um, let's take a snapshot. Uh, Camille Nanjiani? Isn't that what I just said? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Kumail Nanjiani, yeah. Yeah, Nanjiani. Okay. Um, and this is a buddy <laughs> cop sorry. action S- thing. Side joke. You have a really weird way of saying Kit Harrington, but no, he wasn't in Stuber, so that joke doesn't work. <laughs> how, how do I say it funny? Get it? Because you were talking about Kumal Nanjiani, and I was going to say, oh, you're seeing Kit Harrington right oh. Kit, Kit Harrington's also in Eternals, so, yeah. Oh, I, I, uh, funny. That was good. I know, I know. Yeah, boy, you've been locked up by yourself too long. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it was something that looked really funny then. Uh, I'm interested in seeing it. Dave Batista is a cop who can't drive, so he hires a Uber driven by. Uh, Stu, who is uh, the man from Internals, and uh, the two of Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington, and they go on a action adventure together, um, and it looks really fun. And I wanted to watch, I wanted to see it, uh, and I actually kind of forgot about it till I saw that it popped up on HBO, and I was kind of excited that it was there. Boom, in your face, Paul. It's totally in your face. What's your rebuttal? My rebuttal is uh, Kate and I have been going back to uh, watch some classic movies. Uh, if you've been a long-time listener of the show, you know that uh, I am a big fan of I, I thought you were going to say, I am an old man. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and that is also true. That holds up. Uh, that is a fact. Uh, in, the, in the television show, Girl, uh, Gilmore Girls, they make references to a lot of older movies. Uh, we are now taking advantage of Amazon Prime Video. It was something that's always kind of been on the back burner. Like, oh yeah, I have it, but, you know, who cares? I got Netflix. Like, I don't need another streaming service, really. But, you know, there's some classic movies on there. Uh, Ken and I just, last week, watched Roman Holiday. And 
okay. You can definitely <laughs> it see. Is, it is just okay. <laughs> it, well, the thing is, like, when you watch it, you realize how many other movies that came after it steal from that movie. And more than likely, Roman Holiday stealing from some other movie even before that. Um, but let me tell you that the character in uh, Roman Holiday, played by um, Capri, uh, Capri Girl, um, I can't think of her name right now. It starts with an A. You know. Kit Harrington. Kit Harrington. Played by Kit Harrington. Uh, oh, why can't I think of her? She, she's famous for wearing the capris. Um, well, so, uh, sorry, start again at your beginning. What, who? I know who he's talking about. I know who he's talking about, but I want him to explain more. Because her saying, uh, you know, capris. <laughs> She's, she's famous for wearing the capris and the... Audrey Hepburn? Yes, it's Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn, thank you. <laughs> you know, she's famous for her capris. <laughs> she made those famous, apparently, in uh, Sabrina or something. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm on her uh, IMDb, and it says, Trivia, did you know she made capris famous? It's right here. Right there. Can you screenshot that? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, right there. Thanks, John. But in Roman Holiday, she's playing this uh, princess of an unnamed country, uh, of an unnamed nation. And anytime they they like, the nation's called Kit Harrington, nation, just so you know. They just they just say from her nation, like they purposely say do not say what country she's from. And I think that's hilarious. And also, she's kind of a garbage person, like the whole time. Like she's eating a thing of gelato in a scene, and she has a cone, and all of a sudden she just like. Her hand moves off frame, and then she's no longer ha- holding that cone of gelato. And I'm like, did she just throw that on the ground? She did it so subtle, like she dropped it behind herself. Oh, she's such a jerk. You know, I'm like, and she's just like demanding of everybody because she's a princess. I don't know. No. I, I didn't really love watching that movie, but it's part of my classic education, I guess. And uh, just last night, Kate and I tried to watch My Girl Friday, which is also, I think, a reference for uh, in The Avengers, mm-hmm. but Friday, being in uh, Tony Stark's uh, New Jarvis. But that movie, I couldn't even get through the first 20 minutes of. I was like, this, I, ugh, everybody's awful in this movie. These people are the worst. And uh, I, I just don't care. So, Paul, two things I hope you learn. Don't watch old movies, and also uh, worst don't people. don't suggest me read old comic books for monthly trading <laughs> policy. I don't know, like it's never as good as you think it's going to be. How is singing? I mean, how is singing in the rain? Okay. Uh, that was not actually free on Amazon Prime, which Kate thought it was going to be. So therefore, we didn't watch it. We watched Roman Hol- Holiday instead. So. Mm. Haven't seen something in We were looking forward to it. I think we talked about it. Yeah, right? we did. But, uh, yeah, for the queue, and it's still on my queue. I mean, there are some really good black and white movies, but I mean, older movies. But you like, there's. Well, then give me a list. Listen, I'm not. No, the queue. It's called the queue now, Paul. It's called the queue. I'm not in charge of what you do with your life. You can do your own. Sh- but if you're saying there's better hol- uh, classic movies, 
and you're gonna you know, say that my choices are bad. Uh, then, well, let me then tell me what. My uh, Citizen are. Kane, the Third Man. No, Citizen Kane's not great. Citizen Kane, is it's terrible. good. It's a no, good it's, movie. It's not. It's no, it's not. But, like no. it's listen. When it's it's only said it's good is because the cinematography, it's like one of the first movies where they decided not to film the movie as if it was a staged. There's that. But if you go, if you know the things like, I mean, he's, uh, what is it? Um, Who's he referencing in that movie? Um, The the newspaper tycoon. um, Kit Kit Harington. So Kit Harington's his uh, mistress, he refers to as Rosebud, which he's actually referring to her vagina. So the fact that Rosebud is the thing that everybody talks about in that movie is a huge slam on this newspaper tycoon because that's his. That doesn't. That doesn't make it a. No, I just think it. Me. I like, just think it's, just that, I just like, think that's funny. That, that, I think that's a funny thing. That, that I think Citizen. I think. Like it's funny, it's funny for the first thirty seconds that you're watching that movie, and then you got. Well, it's just a funny <laughs> thing. It's just a funny thing. I think I think Citizen Kane is a good movie, uh, but there's there are plenty of good movies. So I offer you right now: Do you want to sit down and watch Stuber, or do you want to watch Citizen Kane? Uh, I probably I would probably watch Stuber because I've seen Citizen Kane a yeah. few times. I've seen it once and was like, oh, really? Like that's yeah for film class in seventh grade. Yeah, and you know what? I don't need to go back to it. It's not a great movie. Um, I would, I would rather like. I don't even like Kubrick movies, but I would rather watch like a Kubrick film because at least those are entertaining. Yeah, I, Kubrick's got some good. I mean, he has does have some really good f- yeah. films, he's and he's got some. He's got some boring films that Paul would probably really like. Did Paul leave? I don't know. Chris, he, did, he was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, did you say <laughs> you're watching? Did you say what you're doing for the queue? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, Parks, Parks and Rec. Okay, I I haven't had a chance to get into Steven Universe because I, with everything that's been happening, I've just been trying to watch like feel good stuff. And I know it's like a good show, but like when I say feel good stuff, I mean things that are comfortable. I know, so uh, I can put it on in the background and I can play games on my phone, like and just kind of like dick around yeah. while it's on and then I can just like quote it as it's happening and then I'll watch like my favorite parts um, you think Paul just got up to go to like get his next beer or he probably he probably got up to get his do you next think he beer. just left he it's possible I mean he's a weird guy he's just like ah and I'm, I hope, I've had enough of this. I hope this all stays in the show but I have a feeling like he's gonna he's gonna cut it out uh, I, think I, I think it should stay, stay. I mean, what else do you it's think he's doing? Do you think he's getting his his lovely uh, silver mane groomed right now? It's possible. You guys, you didn't see it, but Paul sent us a picture, and his hair's starting to get like long and wavy because you know quarantine, like everywhere shut down. But it works for him. It works for the dude. Yeah, I mean, Chris, Chris, I'm gonna. I, I said it. Like, if he cleans up his beard a little bit, because he's getting kind of like scruffy and like burly and wild down there. If he cleans up, he, he could be making the transition to silver oh yeah absolutely and like chris gave chris trimmed his own hair i had my wife cut my hair and i have a mustache right now i shaved my beard i've had my beard for i i I pretty much started growing my beard when i was 22 years old and i've trimmed it off here or there and i'm plan on keep 
I know the first time you did it was for the Harry Potter party because, again, like years ago, Paul and I threw a Harry Potter theme party where we invited everybody and everyone was sorted into a different house. And it was a day-long party where each hour you and the other people that were in your house would have to go do different games, but the games were themed after the classes. And John committed. He he was in Slytherin, but he completely shaved because it's like, no, I'm I'm a Hogwarts student. Like Hogwarts students don't have beards. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now I've 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 probably shaved my beard three times, completely clean shaven, and then I've done sometimes where I trim it really short, but it's not like I didn't shave shave. Um, mm-hmm. but like because I wear I have to wear a mask for 10 hours a day having a full length beard and even a short beard it just really irritates it's either super super hot and it's already hot in that mask or it just rubs and irritates so i've been trying to keep clean shaven and i uh i kept the mustache because my wife said you'd look really weird without it but also it was the first time my wife ever saw me without a beard beard I usually have like some kind of stubble. Like I'll let it grow in a little bit, just become a little bit fuller. But like, living in Florida, like just in summertime with the heat and the humidity, I can't let it get too long. So I've only like gone completely clean shaven, maybe like four times since I've lived down here, just to like start fresh, like just to remember what I actually look like as a person. Uh, but it always throws people off because I'm old. I mean, I'm 37. Uh, when I shave, though, like you get that baby face going on. It throws people off. Yeah. Try baby face with a mustache. It's bizarre. I really don't want to. <laughs> I've done – so I've done mustache, not to like go out and about, but like for my own – it's like experience. Like I've shaved into a mustache and been like, eh, nope. Uh, only other time I've ever done like a weird shaving. Uh, you did the, the, the chin strap. Uh, you did the Abraham Lincoln. I did the I, uh, not not Abraham Lincoln. It was the guy from Smash Mouth because is when I worked at Hot Topic years ago, and I was talking about shaving and uh, my store manager, who also one of my friends, like because I've known her for so long, uh, was just like. You should shave it into a chin strap beard like the guy from Smash Mouth. So I did it, and I showed up that day. She's like, "You need to get rid of that." I I just remember, I remember like, <laughs> I remember like, like waking up in the morning, coming out, seeing you with that, and went, "Oh!" And then all of a sudden, you were gone, and I was like, "He didn't have time for me to tell him not to do that." <laughs> he, oh, he's. He's off to commit suicide. And then, and then I, the next time I saw you, it was gone, and I was like, Phew, I didn't have to have that talking oh, to. Oh, no, I, I, got, I got rid of it. That I, it was either that night when I got home or the next morning after I got uh, home because it was only meant to be for, like, the novelty of it. Like, it wasn't like a, hey, let me try this out, like, reinventing myself. It, it was, was – <laughs> uh, someone, someone thinks this would be funny. I'm going to it. Was, it was uh, – yeah, it was that. It was that day. <laughs> it was that day because I, I, you came home and I think I came home and I was like, oh, phew, he's 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 a different man. Well, on the plus side, I heard Paul laughing at. Oh, you Paul's before. back. So we know Paul's back. Paul, you got to leave all this in. It's all great, Paul. Well, because it's all. Great. I have no idea how we got onto mustaches. <laughs> yeah, because you abandoned us. 
I did because I'm like, you know what? I don't want to talk about Citizen Kane anymore. I want to use the bathroom. It was pretty much instantly as soon as you took your headphones off, you're like, Paul? Paul? <laughs> and then. Pretty much. Uh, I- <laughs> and now, a dramatic reading from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, number one, page one, panel one. Black Spire Outpost. But two, now. You there. Can I interest you in a juicy Rontara? Best in this quadrant. Not exactly a high bar, is it? And that was a dramatic reading from Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, page one, panel one. And we're all back with our next beers. Um, I've been sipping our mind for a while. Chris. Yes. What beer are you drinking right now? Uh, my next beer is also from Sideward Brewing. Uh, I got a crawler. This one I went to there the other day. And this is their People of the Sun. And this is a wheat beer brewed with Florida, uh, Florida citrus and Florida grown cane sugar. I'm assuming it's a reference to the Rage Against the Machine song, People of the Sun. Um, this isn't a, a bad little beer. Uh, I put it at a three out of five on, on untapped. It's a wheat. It's got like a little bit of like citrus tart on it. You get some nice sweet from that cane sugar on it. Ultimately, like this would be one of those beers that you would get in a flight and you try it and you're like, oh, this isn't bad. Like this is good. This is drinkable. I think on like a hot day on the patio, this would be great um, just because it's something cold and crisp to drink. It's my least favorite beer I've had from them. And it's not because there's anything wrong with it. It's not bad, but. It's just not as big and flavorful as some of the other stuff I've had, like, uh, you know, even this episode with the Blind Date, and then last time uh, with the Double Mad, their oak barley wine with maple, um, and then the Friends and Enemies, like the cocoa, like vanilla stout. Um, it's not bad. It's not great. It's just, it's a good drinkable beer. Um, can't complain about it. I mean... I'm easily going to finish the rest of the crawler as we're wrapping up this episode. Like I've already drank half of my glass of this. So I have another half a crawler. Left. Like, it's yeah, not bad, plus it's, it's yeah. following Just, that amazing stout you had right before it. So everything's going to yeah, be a little diminished. Again, again, I do have some left in the crawler. I think I have maybe like a quarter of the crawler can left of that because, you know, I, I drank a half a glass Topped myself off and drank that, so I got a I got a little bit of left of that. So that'll be my treat myself after after I get through this for the wrap up of the episode. I think. And uh, I'm drinking from Three's Brewing. Here you go, Pale Ale, and this is uh, exceptional. It's it's a really good Pale Ale. It's probably. I'd probably put it at the top of Pale Ales I've had. Um, even, like, it's bridging that thing between, like, the spectrum of where a Pale Ale and an IPA are. It's kind of right in the middle between those. Um, it's not overly hoppy. It's just a really great drinking beer coming in at 5%. Um I would probably take this, you know, like, oh, what's your favorite session beer? I'd probably say this beer. Like, it just really goes down easy. And it and it has, like, it has a little bit of weight to it. Like, it's not just, like, a thin pale ale. 
Um, but there's hop and character, and it's really good. And Three's brewing his really in the last, uh, I don't know, since we've been recording, last month and a half, um, have really kind of come on my radar. I've had some of their beers before, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. But I had that Dare to Know um, a couple episodes ago, and <clears throat> it was one of those beers, like, I started drinking it, I reviewed it, I rated it on Untapped, I finished it, and then I kept thinking about it, and then, like, the next day I was thinking about it, and then the next day I went in and rated high, like, make my review higher, because I was like, I just keep thinking about this beer, and I, like, I went and bought another another four-pack and was like, this is I this beer really knocked my socks off because I'm still thinking about it until I have my next uh my next glass of it. And uh here you go, just an exceptional uh pale ale. Like it it definitely sends head and shoulders above any other pale ale. Like what you're thinking of a pale ale, like times that by 5 and that's what this beer is. So you're saying, uh, what's the price point? Because <sighs> you're saying it's your best session ale. It's does it be big? No, I mean because it's it's fourteen. I think it's like fourteen ninety nine for a four pack tall boy. But but yeah, that's, the, okay. I, w- I mean, at that point though, for a session, I'd rather just get like a, co- a couple tall boys of uh, yeah. yeah. All yeah, idea, but you know, like, I, this this uh, this this beer is it's better. Like if I'm gonna be sitting on the porch and like oh I'm gonna drink four tall boys and be able to walk home because I'm thinking sitting on my dad's front porch, which is two houses down from me. Like this is the beer I want. This is the beer I want to sit and drink all day, and then be able to functionally walk home. And take care of a small child. Uh, I don't know. I, I I really like this. Price point, yes. I mean, price point all day is always going to have one up on everyone. Because that 15-pack is, you know, seventeen ninety nine, And just recently had a $5 rebate on it, you know. But ex- exceptional beer. So for that price point, it is cheaper than wrench. It is cheaper than two juicy, which aren't sessions. Yeah. They are double IPAs. But are you saying it's in that league, that exceptional like flavor profile? Are you getting as much as a double IPA? I th- or I, with that I price range, Three's Brewing is—it's a New York City brewery. It's—it's it's a higher price point. And I have to say, you know what? If you're going to talk session beers for that price range, $2, what, $2 less, and I can have 18 watt from single cut, you know, I'd probably do 18 watt over this. But I would have no problem going like, oh, I'm going to go sit out on my dad's porch uh, for my birthday. I'm going to go sit out there and we're going to have like a cigar and maybe have a couple, you know, shots of uh scotch or a cocktail and then I'm going to have a beer to f- a beer to follow up. Chartreuse. I wouldn't have a problem spending the money and having this on the porch. 
because it's five percent. It's easy drinking. Um, it's it's a nice beer. I wouldn't mind paying that price. Two dollars more than Billy Eighteen. I'd have this, but for price point of of a low ABV beer, Billy's got it. You know, single cut. Okay. Well, price point, but is it? Does Billy? Deliver They're different. The flavor, uh, Billy, though? Billy it, is more citrus like forward, and this is more kind of like a little more of a pale ale malt backbone to it. Like I, they're both exceptional beers. It just depends like what you're in the mood for. But like I can see myself sitting out on a warm to like a a hot warm to cool day and enjoy this. Where maybe on a cooler day, sitting out on the porch, Billy might not be the best beer to have. Right. So a hotter day, Billy. Chillier day, this beer. Which Here you is go. Called what again? Yeah. Here you go from Three Furry. And now I'm really happy to get into my third beer, which is actually my which is actually my fifth beer. Had <laughs> <laughs> some bad ones. Oh baby! Oh baby! I'm drinking a, I'm drinking, I'm drinking a really like shockingly sweet beer right now. Uh, the reason I made up a orange whip for my first drink is because I read the back of this bottle are the scam, uh, and this is from Frost Brewery, which is a. Pretty they are bottle. just a little over a year old. Yeah, so pretty darn new. Uh, this is their Star Dog. It's their double IPA, brewed with orange, mango, vanilla glaze frosting, and milk sugar. So this is like a milkshake IPA, and this is so sugary sweet. I was afraid that I would have ruined my palate with the uh, orange whip, and this stands up to that and is even sweeter than the orange whip that I made. So something with actual orange juice tastes more bitter <laughs> than this beer that I'm drinking right now. Um, it's definitely, since it's so sweet, I've been sipping on it. Uh, it's just a 16-ounce can. Um, I don't know if I would want to drink more than one of these in the sitting. It definitely feels like a dessert beer. It's in the sweetness range of a uh, creme brulee from Southern Tier. It's not as sweet, but it's like in that realm. 8.2% uh, alcohol by volume as well. So it is a little bit of a bigger boy. Um, somebody at my work, they picked up a four-pack of it, tasted the first, took a one sip of it, and was like, nope, don't like this at all. This is gross. Like, where's my cores? You know? <laughs> if you want to give me one, I'd be happy to take a can off of your hands. Um, yeah, this tastes like an orange creamsicle melted into a can and then... It had some alcohol added. See, that's what I kind of expected from the the orange whip, like that creamsicle kind of flavor. Yeah, I didn't get like super creamsicle. I just got like a watered down orange juice and then that like heavy cream kind of mouthfeel, which isn't bad. It's 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 really nice like brunchy kind of drink. Um, but is it better than a screwdriver? Not really. Like. Because of the extra ingredients that you would have to go and get, like the heavy cream and everything. And I don't think you're going to go out someplace and be able to order an orange whip. You know what I mean? Um, 
So, this froth, man, it's it's good. I'm glad that I've tried it. I don't know if I would ever get it again. It seems like a one-off kind of like, oh, that was fun to drink. Like, I think I'd be really happy with it. Are you just talking about this beer or froth beers in general? Because you said froth. That's why I asked. If I got it in a... For this froth, this one, this froth beer, uh, Stardog. If I got it in a sampler, you know, taster, you know, uh, flight, I think I would be like, oh, this is really, really good. And then as soon as I brought home a four-pack, I would realize, like, how slowly I would had to drink it. And like, oh, okay, it's, it's a two-ounce pour kind of beer. Like, it's amazing in the two-ounce pour. As soon as you're stuck with 16 whole ounces, you're like... It's work to get yeah, uh, and I mean, the, at this point, they're canning. They're canning a lot of stuff that they normally would just have on on draft. Um, but yeah, to, to me, the places the place where they shine is doing their sours, their pastry beers, their kind of desserty stuff. And to me, froth is like maybe a step and a half below. Mortalis when it comes to their dessert beers, um, and uh, but yeah, I've I've had some exceptional things from them. I've had some okay things from them, and I think they're definitely someone that um, I hope they can. I, I hope they can make it through a pandemic because um, I'd like to continue to see what they can do. So we're into the new uh, topic, right, guys? Yeah, and something that we can do. I, I just, I just want to point out, if what, you guys what, hear what? any weird children's music, one of my son's kid toys is playing music on here in the basement, and I don't know why. It's kind of creepy. Uh, goblins? Goblins. You, you ah, got Annabelle. No, goblins. That's, that's what happens. Yeah. Got the house goblins. Hey, you stay over there. <laughs> that's the only explanation. You stay there, goblins. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and do our main topic. Like we set up at the front of the show, this is our, you can get with this, you can get with that, which is our favorite stories told in a way better than their original. Um, I'm going to start this off, not just because it's uh, my baby, but because it's something that I kind of want to talk about. Um so sorry to you guys if you had this on your lists. Um, I know there was a Watchmen show that came out recently. I haven't seen any of it. I guess it works as like a pseudo sequel to the original comic uh, book. It's, it's phenomenal. But, and I've heard good things, but for me, I think the Watchmen movie uh, by Zack Snyder from 2009 is a better story than the original comic book that we got from Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore when that was originally published. Um, Yes, Watchmen's kind of like a pinnacle of the comic book medium and superhero genre. You read it and it it does have a little bit of that datedness to it. I mean, yes, it is an 80s comic book. It's an 80s comic book that we read in the year 2000. it's an 80s comic book. No matter when you read it after it came out, I feel like it's going to feel dated. I think the Watchmen movie t- 
tells that story a little bit more streamlined and better. And it's a Zack Snyder movie, so it just has his aesthetic to it. It seems like it could have been just a breakdown of the superhero movie genre. It's not. It's just Zack Snyder doing a superhero movie. So I think it kind of falls flat in that respect. But for the most part, like, I would prefer to watch the Watchmen movie than go back and read the Watchmen comic book. I I think it's just a lot more clear and concise. And it just could be like a personal thing, but I think a lot of Alan Moore comic books are just him like jacking off to himself about like how great of a storyteller he is. I don't, I don't get that from the movie. Uh, I would, I would agree. And I think the movie cut some of the fat that doesn't need to be there. Um, and I think it does do a good job of interpreting that book where it does take like from page to panel, like it's there for the things that really yeah. matter. And I think it was excellent casting. I think it was excellent, um, uh, costuming. I mean, they made those bizarre looking costumes, uh, work on screen and um, yeah, I think I on a whole, I think I've read Watchmen twice. I read it once, and then I I had skipped all the in between stuff that was the Black Pirate and that all that stuff. And then I kind of later had realized like, oh, maybe you should read that. So then I went back and reread all of it. See, I read all that, like, the pirate uh, serial stuff as I was reading the book, and I'm like, oh, okay, like, this is meant to mirror the rest of the story. After that first read-through, I I never reread that stuff again, and I think I only read Watchmen, like, three times, like, the entire time I had the, the collected trade paperback. Um, recently, I went through and did a purge of stuff that I just didn't need anymore, and some of that was just giving old trades and comics to someone that I worked with that I mean, he loves comic books, but he hasn't read a lot of different stuff. And one of the ones that I gave him was Watchmen. And he was like, oh, my gosh, like, I've always wanted to read this because, you know, I, I know what it is. And I was like, yeah, you have to remember it was written in the 80s. I, I think Watchmen, the movie, stands up more like, and it could just be because of our culture's obsession with that superhero. It's a good breakdown of it, but it's just not bogged down by like its its history, which I feel like the Watchmen comic book is. Yeah, I yeah, I can see that. I, I think this is like one of the best Zack Snyder movies, and he's done his fair share of adaptations and remakes of stuff. I- I would say it's definitely I think his best movie is um Dawn of the Dead. See, I, I agree, but and even then like that's that's no, no like, I, that's... I yeah, no. <laughs> I I don't think I don't <laughs> think the man's ever done anything that is his own except for um Sucker Punch. Ba- yes, I was gonna call it Baby Doll, but that's the character, yeah. 
And even that, like, it's vis- that's not a good movie. Visually, it's good, but like as a movie, it's it's not interesting. Like I literally, like John, you and I yeah. went to see it when it came out. I remember nothing about that movie except it being just like Zack Snyder, like masturbatory uh, fantasy. It, it, <laughs> like, what, the, the thing that sticks out in my mind is the, the there's a guy who's like the bad guy in it, and. Um, I just remember leaving the theater going, man, I don't like that guy. That actor did a great job. And I looked it up and it got, it was, um, uh, uh, oh my gosh, can't think of his name now. Uh, Isaac, um, from the star Wars, uh, Poe, Poe, Poe Dameron. Oh, Poe Dameron. I literally don't remember that movie having a bad guy. I just remember being like, Vignettes of he was he was the things. bad guy he was like the um he was like the bad guy in the real world and then he was like the showman kind of guy in the movie and I very rarely remember the movie but the thing that I walked out was going well this guy was such a good he was such a good bad guy in it I need to watch out for him because I think he's going to be big and you know he is he's <laughs> this is a pretty good pretty good actor so I'm. When you're trying to remember his name, I, I Googled. So, I mean, this movie has good, well-known actors in it, like Emily Browning, Jen Malone, Vanessa Hudgens, Jamie Chung, Oscar Isaac, John Hamm, Scott Glenn. Like, I don't remember any anybody in this movie. I don't remember John Hamm in it at all. But I remember. Uh, John Hamm plays the doctor slash I remember roller. Isaac. Uh, Oscar Isaacs, thank you. Oscar Isaacs. I remember him in it. Like, he stuck out. Like, I was like, man, he's a bad, he's a really bad, good actor to play such a bad guy. And he can sing really well. Uh, yeah. Paul, what's your what's your pick? Every time somebody says uh, Isaacs, I, I'm like, oh, Isaac Childress, the mm. creator of Gloomhaven and Frosthaven. I think, not an I think Isaac Mizrahi. Uh, fashion designer who's done target stuff. And then I go uh, Isaac Hayes. Not because of Chef, but because South Park. Games. No, oh. say South Park because I knew him from that before anything else. You know, just from when we grew up. Who am I thinking of? Who's the singer that's selling uh, Wiki Games? Chris Isaacs. Oh, who nobody thinks of. I, all these Isaac names. Except for old men like me. We Paul Paul, we talk about that when you leave. Alan Moore. Oh, Alan Moore. <laughs> uh also did another uh comic book that got adapted to uh another screen. This time the small screen. And rumor has it this is the only adaptation he actually approves of and likes. And this is uh the Justice League Unlimited episode for the man who has everything. It was a uh, yeah, twenty-minute, twenty-two-minute uh, cartoon episode where Batman and Wonder Woman go and visit Superman for his birthday. Hey, it's Wednesday, and Paul, yours is just a few days after that. It's uh, six days after that. It's the following Tuesday. Um, hey, it's like a birthday episode. Hey, uh, in the comic book, it's Batman, Wonder Woman, and Robin going to visit Superman at Fortress of Solitude for his birthday. And they find him uh, there in a catatonic state with this 
creature, this plant creature attached to uh, Superman, known as the Black the Mercy. Black, the Black Mercy. That was sent to him by Mongol. And uh, Superman is having a hypnotic dream, a, um, I don't know, what, how to, a deep, deep sleep, and he's dreaming of the world and a life that he really wished he had. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I think the there's a good streamlining lining of the comic book issue into the cartoon series. I think um, I actually have who oh, I apparently uh, shrunk down and dropped that. Uh, J.H. D. Mattis was the one that did the adaptation from the Alan Moore story. And it's just a lot of fun. Um the one reason I really think I like the cartoon versus the actual issue of it is in the cartoon, Batman just gives is giving uh, Clark money. <laughs> he's like, well, he could use it. He's a, he's a reporter. And Wonder Woman is giving him a rose that you know was recently discovered that they you know she convinced whoever to name it Krypton. Uh, in the comic book issue, that is reversed. Like, Wonder Woman didn't know what to get him, so got him, like, a gift card. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a fun, I think it's easier to find. It's Justice League Unlimited. Uh, the, the way I read the book was in a best Alan Moore, like, best of Alan Moore from DC Stories. Like collection. Yeah, it's it's the best story out of that. I think the that one Green Lantern one's pretty good. Yeah, with F Sharp Bell. Uh, there's also the last Superman story for uh, the Man of Tomorrow. In that, anyways, but this this is the one. This is uh, where we see Justice League Unlimited uh, taking on a really big seminal issue and yeah, definitely doing. Definitely doing a really great interpretation of that story, and uh, uh, I I agree, and I'm because I had this book, like I owned, like you know, a reprint, not trade paperback, but it was like one of those Elseworlds, like five dollar, uh, like physical copies of it. And I was like, okay, I remember this story, but I remember reading more of, or not, yeah, I guess reading more of, like, the Black Mercy, because they did bring it back in Green Lantern Corps. I, humble nerd break, I own one of the pages from that arc. I, I love having it on my wall. But I remember, like, this Justice League, like, adaptation of it more than I remembered the actual comic version of it. So while you were talking about, like, I just kind of Googled Alan Moore uh, for The Man Who Has Everything, and then I found an interview with him talking about, like, how he wrote it, and literally, like, one paragraph into it, I'm like, fuck <laughs> this guy, like, I just... It's... Uh, and then it goes on for, like, oh, like, like 12 more paragraphs. And I didn't read them, like, but I just, like, jumped into it and then just being like okay well what does he have to say now and I'm like no fuck this guy I just don't like Alan Moore even though you know he's a master storyteller like 
he has great ideas. Like, I feel like him defending or explaining any of his creations is just like I, I think I don't know. Alan Moore has done great things for the medium. And there's def- there's definitely those moments to even like Grant Morrison has done great things for the medium. But when you like have interviews with these guys and they talk, you're like, that guy's bad shit crazy. That guy's a huge asshole. Yeah. Like <coughs> excuse me. These guys definitely have these personas that sometimes outshine and make the things that they've accomplished um, tainted, you know? Uh, I think what Alan Moore did with um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was like an interesting thing to pull these characters from uh, literature together to have an adventure. I think that's really cool. Uh, Watchmen uh, and some of his other works are really great. Alan Moore, his Animal Man, uh, some of the other stuff that he's done, some of his stuff that he's doing now, like not great, you know. Like, yeah, well, that's and that's the thing that gets me about Alan Moore as a creator. And I know I've talked about it before on the show, but since we're on him again, like I just want to bring it up. He has so much beef with DC Comics capitalizing and, like, forcing his characters down people's throats and, you know, stealing his creations. When all of these books that kind of made him as a comic book writer are his takes on other people's creations. Like, Watchmen, it was supposed to be some of those, like, 1940s Charlton characters like Blue Beetle, uh, The Question, Shazam, like it was supposed to be those characters, like, but updated. And then DC was like, well, no, we have plans for them. Like, don't use them. So he was like, okay, well, it's not Blue Beetle. It's, yeah, well, uh, what was his name? The owl. Yeah, like, or, it, was, the owl. it was the owl. It's not going to be the Rorschach. question. It's Rorschach. Like, he, he took what he had, he just, made up new characters for the people, put it out. And now like DC owns them. And he's like, Oh fuck DC. No, it was supposed to be those characters originally, like whatever his lost girls book. It's all, you know, early storytelling novels, characters like Alice in Wonderland, Wendy from Peter Pan, uh, someone else. Cinderella? I don't remember, but it's like, it wasn't Cinderella. I can't remember. I could look it up, but I don't care to, it was all like other people's creations, like, and then viewing their like, oh, world opening stories through like a, well, no, it wasn't like a bigger world. It was like a sexual awakening. He's constantly guilty of doing what he's accusing DC of doing, like just bastardizing other people's creations. Like, hello, pot. This is the kettle calling. Guess what? We're both black. Like, and that's why. I, I respect what he can do for the storytelling, but then, like, I see those interviews with him, and I'm like, no, fuck you, dude. Like, you... Does this does this not ring a bell with you? It rings an F-sharp. Hey! Anyways, moving. Saw the Thank you. Moving on. Uh, moving on. 
Chris, you started yeah. it. John, you want uh, to And mine's going to be the movie adaptation of Fight Club, uh, the book written by Chuck uh, Pelnick. Um, and the I've, I've read the book. I didn't love the book. Uh, I kind of hated the book. But I absolutely love what um, the director and screenwriter David Fincher and Jim Units did with that idea of a man uh, with split personalities creating this organization that uh, helped just uh, the hunter gather, you know, the hunter uh, side of the men kind of a thing. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the movie. I read the book and I said, man, the movie did a much better job of telling this story and making the characters likable. In the book, I you don't like any of the characters. Uh, in the movie, you like the Brad Pitt character. You like the Edward Norton character. Um, and definitely, I think it is a uh, excellent movie. And uh, not a great novel. And I know Paul, uh, Chris so has I've, never I've, seen it. Yep. My nerd yeah, rocks it a is. die on. Because I've never, I've never seen it. I've never read the book. But I knew about the book before the movie came out. And, like, the twist where, like, uh, I, Tyler Durden and, I don't know, like, Ed Norton's character. He's actually the, his name is actually okay. Tyler Ty, okay. Tyler Durden. Okay, uh, in the novel, that's like like the twist of like the movie is given away at the beginning. Like you go through the novel knowing like that the it's like that duality. Like you're seeing the mirroring of the character, but then in the movie, it's done like as that M. Night Shyamalan, like, twist at the end, it's like, whoa, fuck, they're the same dude. And I think a lot of that seemed to have been lost on the people that saw the movie because, uh, going back over, like, my ex-co-worker friend, like, her boyfriend, like, after this movie came out, him and his friends, they made a fight club where they would just meet at random places and go, like, punch each other. And I think the toxic masculinity that's being shown off in the novel novel got lost on the people that saw the movie. Again, I haven't seen the movie, read the novel. I don't know. Like, I could just be putting my own thoughts on it. But I think it's yeah, a little of your own. Like, never seen it, never read it. A I'm little okay. of your own thoughts. But uh, I, I mean, the movie came okay. out in 99. I was maybe six, 16 in 99. I don't know. Um, uh, time. But, I don't remember how old I was when the quarantine started, <laughs> so I don't believe you. Um, how old were you uh, four months ago? <laughs> uh, when is it? We don't know. He doesn't um, have a concept of a day, so therefore he doesn't have a concept of months. So, so sidebar, just to like comment on that more. Uh, when we get to the next beer, I don't have another beer to talk about, but something I'll be talking about. I hung out with some friends recently, but we did like social distancing style. Like we all met somewhere. We kept our distance just to like hang out, catch up. 
the day before we were supposed to meet up, which was Thursday, one of the friend groups sent a text on Wednesday being like, hey, guys, so we're meeting, you know, tomorrow at 6. I had a moment where I was about to text back and be like, uh, no, we're going to meet on Thursday. Duh. And I was like, wait, what day is it? Because I literally thought it was like Monday well, still. I mean, they must know you because you always have to remind Chris like a day or two before that he has to do something with you because he will forget. <laughs> well, it's usually because I have a lot going on in my personal life. Not like I'm important or do things. I, I work two jobs, so days kind of blur together. It's just worse now that days are blurring together because I'm doing nothing. <laughs> At least on like a normal day, I'm being a little bit more productive. Yeah. I've come around to the spear a little bit more. Now that I'm through like the entire crawler of it, it's good. Not great. It's, it's better than I think I thought I thought. I'm almost done with my third beer, which is my fifth beer, and I love every minute of it. Well, Paul, do you want me to go next, or do you have your second one ready to go? I have my second one ready to go, and that's uh, the Marvel Ultimate Universe versus the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, I'm I, this is a little bit more uh, uh, washy, a little bit more you no know, nuance than the direct adaptation, but you know, I talked it over with you guys before the show, and it seemed like this was a legitimate pick. Um, this is a reimagining of the Marvel Universe from the ground up. Uh, both of them are. And I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a much better version than what we got with uh, Ultimates slash Ultimate Comics. Um, I didn't read all the Ultimates line. But I did read the first few trades of the Ultimates. I read Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate Daredevil, and I have to say that every time they introduce a character in the Marvel Ult- the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I much rather their origin story and like it's an easier jumping on point than I'm in versus the Ultimates line, where I'm like, eh, you know what, not as good. So if I had to go through and uh, rewatch. Aka or reread one of these two lines. I am going to rewatch the Marvel Cinematic Universe each and every time versus rereading. Uh, yeah, and I, like I'm not I'm not trying to put you, you know, like make you feel bad, Paul. But I think like Ultimate Line and Marvel Universe are adaptations of the original continuity. You know the original stories. And I, I agree, I think, what the Marvel Universe has done is better than what the Ultimate Universe has done. I think the only thing that's come out of the Ultimate Universe that, I mean, and rightfully so, should stick around is is Miles Morales. Um, and I kind of like I kind of like Reed Richards as a villain. I do like that. I, I like that term. He's, yeah. he's around as the fixer, or what is he called? Because um, he showed up in that... The, uh, uh, what, Brian Hicks? Uh, Carnage oh. book. The, the, that current, he was in the Carnage book, or uh, Venom book that we read. 
uh, Venom goes to see him. Did you say Venom? It's something like that, because he makes the jump from that. It sounded like you said Venom goes to the museum, which is like, well, what is a fun kid's book to share with my son? (laughs) Write that down. That's that's an episode idea right there. That's a Christmas episode. That's a Bagnum Board Christmas special right there. Venom goes to the museum. No, I, I think... John, yeah, you're right where you're seeing the Marvel Cinematic Universe as like the updating of those stories. But we also have to remember now like that Ultimate Universe started almost, almost 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So at that point when the Ultimate Universe started off, they were looking back at the books that came out 40 years before that. So it's not like a like a perfect mirror of it, but yeah, we've we've gotten storytellers learning lessons from both of those, like, you know, your 616 and your ultimate universe. Um, the 1602. 1602. Yeah. That was also a universe. Um, and like, um, no, I thought that was uh, the ultimate universe. Well, no, uh, 1602 is the Neil Gaiman X-Men book. Well, oh, Marvel universe. Uh, 616 is the official designation of, like, the Marvel, Marvel Universe, created by uh, Alan Moore to bring that guy back up again. You're right. Uh, I'm sorry. Ultimate uh, Marvel was, Universe was designated Earth 16 times. Okay. I I honestly didn't know that part. Uh, But if you put it to me, like, right now, like, hey, we can read this Ultimate book or this old... Again, I feel bad saying old, but like, you know, this original Marvel telling of this story, I'd probably go with the ultimate version of it. Like, just that little bit of that contemporary edge makes it a little bit more palatable for me. Like, it's not even so much like the story of it, but it's just the way that the story is told that matters. I'm going to say this, that, okay, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh... You got uh, Nick Fury, who's Samuel L. Jackson. And then in the Marvel Ultimates comics, you have Nick Fury, who's based off of Samuel L. Jackson. So they did that. It seems like they did that one thing. I, like, kinda... Because everything else is actually Sony doing the Ultimate Universe, Ultimate Spider Man, and doing like the Ultimate Fantastic Four. It's actually Sony. The only thing that Marvel did do was like, well, yeah, they got it right. Like Samuel L. Jackson would be a great Nick Fury, and then they did it, and then Marvel Universe just kind of did it as well. Well, even even on that point, like because Marvel, like Cinematic Universe, also drew from that Ultimates with like that first main threat in the Avengers movie being the Chitari, which was something that had been introduced in the Ultimates comic and like Marvel Studios used that because they didn't have the rights to the scrolls anymore because Fox owned that because they had the rights to those Fantastic Four characters so it's kind of an interesting twist and it's also like Hawkeye is more Ultimates Hawkeye than any other kind of Hawkeye Um, he's not as much of a douche as the ultimate comics line, but he's a you know he's they made him instead of being just a a rogue superhero, he's a shield agent. Yeah, 
and that's more so from the ultimate slime. I agree with that as well. Yeah, I didn't think about that one. I, but yeah, I, I introduced it saying that it was a you know a little bit of a more fuzzy, yeah. washy. And I think the the slime cinematic yeah. universe kind of takes from everything and makes the things that they think work work. And uh, and I agree. I think uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a better stepping stone to get people into Marvel Comics, definitely, than Ultimates was. Um, and I, I imagine those people who, you know, who went and saw the Winter Soldier and were like, holy cow, because I knew some of those people. I worked with them. And I gave them, like, I lent them out my Winter Soldier-like storyline. And they came back and was like, what else do you have? And I'm like, well, here's here's Daredevil. Here's this. Here's uh, Iron Fist. Here's Spider-Man. Here's these books that I have that, yes, you should read. Here's, you know, Bat- a Batman story that's amazing. And I think there's definitely, <laughs> they take from the right, they take from the right storylines that are kind of fan favorites and do a good and do a really good job with them. Chris, what's your second? And this is our last picks, right? Yeah, this is the last one, unless anyone else has like an honorary mention that they want to throw up because, uh, I guess my next one's going to be what I thought John would have picked, but I'm going to go a little bit more broad on it with the Muppets doing anything. I didn't even I didn't even think about the Muppets. Oh, okay. Well, because for me, like when I first thought of this, uh, I went with the Muppet Christmas Carol because that's going to be the version of the Christmas Carol that I watch. But then, as soon as I took my inner breath and I thought, I was like, "Well, no, John loves Muppet Treasure Island because that's like his go-to Treasure Island." You put the Muppets in front of anything and you're going to get like a pretty faithful retelling of that original story, but just with that like kind of weird, fun, dare I say, kooky atmosphere that the Muppets bring to anything that it just makes it a lot more interesting. But if, if you're like three in the morning college cramming you can watch Muppets Christmas Carol and then go into your <laughs> your class the next day to talk about Dickens Christmas Carol because yeah it's gonna carry through like it still hits those notes that you would get from the original but it's just done in such a more clean clear concise way that's also fun on top of it um Muppets are great. I I literally just watched uh, Treasure Island last week. Uh, But I will say Yellowbeard, uh, Monty Python's Graham Chapman, is probably my favorite Treasure Island interpretation. Uh, But, yeah. No, I would agree. Uh, It's a faithful faithful Uh, interpretation of the source material. Muppet Treasure Island and... Uh, Christmas Carol. Are, are so you also get Tim Curry. Yeah, oh, Tim Curry is so good as Long John Silver. So, he, the guy's got so much heart. Uh, I was just talking to somebody about the reason, like, I would have, I would have bought all of uh, Unfortunate Events um, on Audible. 
is because Tim Curry reads them. But for some reason on Audible, Tim Curry only reads like the first five. And then like the other ones are read by somebody else. And I listen to that guy's voice and I was like, I could never go from reading the books with Tim Curry to this guy. So I never, I never download him to, to listen to him because I was like, I, Tim Curry does such a great job on these books. I wouldn't be able to, to do anything else. Uh, but that was my fallback one because originally my, you know, better retelling of the original was actually going to be the Thor Ragnarok retelling of the events of <laughs> Thor the Dark World's Loki story because it's so it's so in on the joke. Like, it knows that that's not a great movie, but as we've discussed in the great Marvel movie retrospective, like, the Thor the Dark World, like, it does matter in the scope of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The Thor movies just aren't great until you get Ragnarok, so I like that kind of just, like, elbowing, like, eh, eh, like, this was dumb, right? Eh, it doesn't matter. Um, I think Muppets is a better pick, but for me, the Thor, uh, the Thor big stage version of uh, Loki's retelling of the Dark World was was a better retelling of the movie. You get Sam Neill in it. What's up, like John? Before I give my honorable mention, I know you oh. and talk to talk about your beer. Uh, oh, uh, I am drinking. Oh my! Mm. You need to clean yourself mm. up. Uh, Are you okay? Last year, Founders put out Masagave, which was a lemon lime imperial sour, aged in tequila barrels. And uh, I had one of those last night. And today, I am having Masagave grapefruit, which is an imperial sour, aged in tequila barrels with grapefruit, and it is fantastic i love every sip of this beer um the grapefruit uh just shines i like this more than the lemon the lemon lime version that i had last night um i originally was going to have these beers uh i wanted to have them back to back um but i drank one last night and i drank one today because uh the other beers i had i despised uh, aside from um, here you go uh, but this beer and one it's Jesus it's like 9.2 um, 9.7 percent um, and you don't get that it drinks beautifully uh, it's utterly fantastic I only have a sip left in it and I kind of want to hold on to it, but I just know that tomorrow when I go to work, I'm bringing a four-pack of this home. Like, there's going to be more because this is going to be my favorite summer drinking beer. Um, absolutely wonderful. I loved the regular Masagave when that came out. And this was my... I used to be allergic to... Uh, like tequila, like so that like agave nectar, it doesn't bother me anymore. So I must have gotten over it. Because um, if you've been listening, you know, like I had a day where I did masagave, 
uh, Salute the Sun, and then there was like another like tequila aged beer that I did. And I came out of that other end of the episode, I was in great shape. Like, I like that flavor profile now. I really hope whenever I wind up going to my beer store, I can find this because I just love grapefruit as it is. On top of like the Masagata, I think this would be fantastic. I'm like, I really hope I can get this beer down here because last time I went to my beer store, I can't remember what I was looking for from founders. It was one of their limited release things that I was wishing for. They didn't have it. Um, there's also been some more Dragon's Milk alternatives that came out that I was wanting and didn't have them, but I really uh, want this beer. I will try to hold on to a bottle of this because I'm probably going to be drinking a ton of it. Like I like that's and I that's okay. I I saw you a text the other day that um, Hidden Springs Ale Works. Uh, we went there when you guys were down here. Fantastic beers. I've had them on the show before. They put out their Silly Rabbit, which is you know their tricks. Yo, I, I sent you that. Uh, I sent. Yeah, well, yeah, you sent you, me that. You said I sent you. I uh, said if you found it and sent it. Well, we went we, there. Yes, we went there. We went there, and I said to you that if they, if I can find it, I will oh. get you some. Turns out they only put it out yeah. at the brewery like that one day that they yeah, did the. That's why. So that's why I said it because I was hoping that. you'd take a drive. Yeah, I'm a hermit now. I said it before, but you're also Staying like, man, again. I wish I could go outside. Well, you could drive to Tampa. Yeah, that's a that's a long drive from where I live. Come on, John. Yeah, super cheap. Like so, so fun fact, I filled up my car the other day before I went grocery shopping because I was under a quarter of a tank. I was like, oh, I should probably get gas. So I knew, like, oil prices had dropped. I wasn't paying attention. Like, I pulled up to my tank. I, you know, stick the, stick the hose in my car and just start cranking it. Yeah, I filled up my car for, like, $16. The second time I've had to buy gas in like the last two months. It's ridiculous. But uh You're the reason why gas is so cheap. It's me. I'm not driving anywhere. But Paul, you said you had a uh an honorable mention. Yeah, and that's the uh Batman Arkham City or Arkham Asylum uh Universal Games. If you want a really good Batman story, not in Batman comics, and you wanna you know be Batman I think that's your best bet. Like, um, I know Arkham, the last one, Arkham Knight, you know, had had some issues. Like, it took me a while to even be able to play it because of all the uh, technical issues that they had with porting it to PC. Uh, Arkham Origins, I still have issues where it just crashes on me and I lose my save game files. Um, But Arkham Asylum and Arkham City... Those two games, perfect. Like, they are the best Batman games. I don't think you can improve upon them, uh, as we've seen two other games try to, and they really didn't. Uh, and they're great Batman stories. They, if you were a fan of the uh, 90s cartoon Batman the Animated Series, you could jump into those video games and not be lost. 
because you need to understand the characters and their relationships just fine. Um, except for maybe Oracle. Maybe you don't understand who Oracle is, but honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you know Barbara Gordon is Oracle, so... That would be my honorable mention. What's your number two pick, Paul? Did you do that? Yeah, you remember we talked about. Okay, I I haven't done my numbers. I haven't done. No, I haven't done my number. Oh, I thought two. you did. Uh, and my number. My club. Was your number no, two? My, what was your number one? No, my no my number one. My number one. Well, my number one uh, would be actually. Chris mentioned uh, Stanley Kubrick. And it would actually be Stanley Kubrick's uh, The Shining. Uh, the Shining movie is an oh, incredible yeah. adaptation of Stephen King's book that has almost nothing to do with Stephen King's book. Uh, the movie, aside from uh, character names and the fact that the son is psychic and there's a hotel that is feeding off of him being this psychic... Nothing else is really the same. Um, and I think it's a better version than the book. I've read the book. I've read the Stephen King version of The Shining uh, TV movie. And I've seen Stanley Kubrick's uh, The Shining. I think if I were going to sit down and do anything, it would be watching Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um and I think it's a better interpretation of those books, of, of the book and of the TV movie. Um, but I don't think in the world of The Shining, where you have the sequel, uh, Dr. Sleep, I think the Dr. Sleep book is better than the Dr. Sleep movie. Um, because the movie catered to the uh, Kubrick movie more than it did the Stephen King book. But anyways, I'm talking about The Shining. Uh, it's my own weird Stephen King-ness that I have. Um, but yeah, I think The Shining is a better interpretation of said book. I would agree. Um, I know I tried to read The Shining and I couldn't get into it, so I yeah, the actual the actual book was kind of crummy compared to the movie. Did you see uh, Doctor? I Steve? did. I I read I read Doctor. S- it, it's you and McGregor. It like it is a very good interpretation of the book up until kind of like the end of the book. Um. Dr. Sleep is, I mean, it's got like, did you, did you see the movie, Chris? I, I did not because I'm not a big Shining fan. Um, like it, it's not my go-to King, um, which we've talked about before, Salem's Lot. Like that's my, that's my jam when uh, it comes to Stephen King. And then, his, and then his, uh. Cameo in, in chapter two. Uh, so in the sequel, Doctor Sleep, there are these people who, like, they're basically vampires who feed off of children with The Shining. Uh, and you have mm. Danny Torrance, who is a grown man working in a, um, 
like kind of like a hospice facility for older patients who has had uh, a lot of troubles with drinking himself and has gotten to a point where he hasn't had a drink in like 10 years and he's at this facility and he uses his shining power to help people pass um, pass on. And that's why they call him Dr. Sleep because he holds their hand. He actually shows them their favorite memories kind of in life and help them drift off to, to death. And at the same time, there's a young girl in kind of the village that he lives in who is um, someone who shines even more powerful than he had, who catches a glimpse of these vamp vampire people who then come after her and Danny, who be kind of becomes friends with this girl uses his power and works to save her. And it follows more because it's written by Stephen King, his shining version, which I think works better in a book than the movie did trying to interpret the book and then take, the Kubrick version, which is probably what more people have seen and making a movie out of it. Um, but I think that to me, one of my favorite Stephen King books is actually Dr. Sleep. Um, I absolutely loved it. And I've read probably about almost 10 of his books. Um, I think my favorite two books are uh, the outsider and Dr. Sleep. And both of them this year were turned into um, a TV and a miniseries on HBO. And the miniseries on HBO is good, but is not as good as the book. Where in this case, The Shining is a great interpretation, is a better interpretation of the book. Um, and then my, uh, my, my extra one here is actually... You can still say Muppets because I always want to talk about uh, the Muppets. I'm, I'm going a little outside the box. Uh, as someone who has uh, seen the Harry Potter movies and has read the Harry Potter books multiple times, uh, you know what I'd rather do than watch a movie or read a book is actually go to Harry Potter Land, which would which would be the Universal hey. Studios. Uh, where you can be really in depth in the rides and the shops and actually live uh, Harry Potter. I think that those uh, that theme park does an amazing job, even though I ran uh, the roller coaster, the, the dragon roller coaster twice, and it really screwed my blood pressure oh. up because I have high blood pressure and I, I felt like I almost passed out. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I thought it was an incredible land to go to. And uh, definitely worth the money uh, if you have that money at that time to do the park. So, yes. John, I love what you're bringing to the table here. A few reasons. First of all, because we're friends. And that was a great moment because that was the only time that I got off of the Dueling Dragons, which is dead now. Like, doesn't exist. Right, doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't exist now as a Hagrid's Magical Creatures coaster, which is still, it's really good. Um, but that was the only time that I got off of it and then was like, 
uh, there's no way we'll you can get on it again. Like that was the only time I had done that, like back to back, like dual coaster ride. Uh, so, so great pick because yeah, you are placed in the wizarding world when you're in there. Uh, have you had a chance to listen to the side podcast? Hey, available right here on your feed with Wordbooks with Friends, where Paul and I are going through and rereading uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, it isn't, but it also was one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up because of that. Uh, yeah. Ooh, synergy. Uh, but no, it. I actually did think like today I had my two picks and I was in, I think I was in the shower and I was like, man. What else is a great interpretation of the source material that I'd rather do? And I was like, you know, I guess instead of like watching the movie or reading a Harry Potter book, I'd rather be th- I'd rather be there and see those things. And that's what made me think of that. But uh, no, I actually and I haven't listened to you yet, only because I haven't had too much time to listen to things. Um, but I actually recommended you guys to a friend who is just now reading the books. He's reading the second book and he's a, nice. you know, he'd watched all the movies and he's just reading the books now. And I was like, and I was like, you know, my two buddies on my podcast, my main feed are doing reviews of each chapter. And I just think, cause you just read it. It might be fun for you actually to, to listen to it. And he's like, I don't, I don't really have time. And I'm like, they're like 10 to 14 minutes. And he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, the longest one we have is like an hour. It's like, but it's a lot, it's a lot of science. But talks. he's like, oh, I, I, can, I can do that. Like, Then I pulled it up and I was like, yeah, like intro's two minutes, first episode's 10, this is 14, this is 12. And he's like, oh, I can do that. So, uh, yeah. I, I pitched your podcast uh, to somebody else. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah. yeah. John. Yes. You got to listen to it. It's a lot of fun. No, I'm, I'm planning on it. I just haven't gotten around to it. Also, don't, don't tell me what to well, do. And, like, <laughs> uh, well, and the thing about it too, is if you you don't even need to read chapter by chapter. Like Paul and I are doing, like, we're just going through it just so it's all kind of fresh. Like if you've read Harry Potter or you've even seen any of the Harry Potter movies, like it all really draws off of. I'm downloading all the episodes now. So I'll listen to them this week. You should, you should have been subscribed anyways. It's, it's on the Magnum broadcast. I'm subscribed to it. I don't automatically download them. What do you have? A psycho? Oh, see, I automatically download it, but I don't listen to it because I hate my voice, guys. It's a lot more nasally than I hear it. It's also slightly baritone. Yeah, is it? Everyone's always like, "Again, I I don't don't hear that." Is it? Well, not 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 then when you go. As soon as I, as soon as I hear it, I'm like, "Oh, it's it's all through the nose," because. Born and raised in Buffalo, baby, 716. So, if you're listening to us and like what we're doing, please let us know. Paul <laughs> thought that was funny. That's our area code, Paul. And I say our, even though I hey, haven't lived it's there. it's my wedding years. anniversary. 
I still have a 716 phone number. That's true. Just happenstance. If you've been listening to us and like what we're doing, please let us know over on the Facebook, the Instagram, and the Twitter. Uh, If you have a question for us, either about this show or you've been listening to Word Books with friends and want to ask a question there, you can do that over at bagnaboardcast at gmail.com. You you can send uh, John a happy birthday message anywhere on there. Hey, Uh, happy birthday. You can send Paul a happy birthday because this is a couple days after need to be happy on my birthday it's fine uh, i already told you i would uh, mine's gonna be slightly depressing so maybe send me a happy birthday because yeah. i'm a sad boy john's a sad boy i'm i am no sadder than i what than what i normally am paul's, paul's always a sad boy it's the secret paul how aren't you ever depressed uh, you want to know my secret i'm always I'm depressed i'm always depressed <laughs> And, uh, yeah, have a good week. Stay safe and wash your hands, you damn animals.